The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org or in person at Citizen, our nonprofit coffee shop and program space at 3636A North Mississippi Avenue. I'm Molly Jean Bennett. This week, we have a conversation with a nonprofit that provides support to adults and youth living with disabilities. Here's Phil's interview with Community Vision. This is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joining the studio today with two guests from Community Vision. Joe Wykowski is the executive director and Valerie Plummer is the development director. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So Community Vision, that that doesn't necessarily tell me what the organization does. Right. Um, pick that name about 29 years ago. Um, the idea was that there's really one community vision of all people living together in Portland, in the Portland metro area. We specifically assist people with disabilities, people with developmental disabilities and other disabilities and their families to live the life they choose in Portland. But we chose that name because we really felt that um, there really is one vision for everyone living together. And, and um, part of what Community Vision does is to help support individuals to live individually and, and to get out of group living. Is that correct? Yes. We um, have a very uh, tailored um, planning approach and support to each person. If you think about most of society, we encounter people with disabilities and others when they're aging in nursing homes and larger institutions or facilities. And our idea, and that's how we actually started, we moved individuals from Fairview Training Center while the state institution was still open twenty starting 29 years ago um, right into their own home because we felt that each person wants their own place, their own identity, not to live in a facility with 40 other people or 10 other people or five other people. That sounds taxing. I mean, I, the reason that there's group living is 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 it's uh, you can you can centralize some of the resources, uh, cooking and uh, assistance. So it's it sounds customizing to the individual is a lot of work. It is in the sense of um, getting to know each person, but the what the person receives out of the support and how they move forward their life and the person providing the support, the feedback they get and the growth they see for the person is incredible. And quite honestly, when you talk taxing, um, Prior to Community Vision, started as a kid out of college. I ran other programs. You're figuring out what the field's all about, what you're going to do. And so I used to support 10 people to live together in a home. And you can imagine, especially being young and getting up at 6 in the morning to start breakfast for 10 people, and you did everything for everyone. And they didn't have the individual opportunities to, to craft their life. So when I think of that word, I think it's actually more taxing living with other people because you also don't get to choose who you live with. Yeah, and and I'm certainly not challenging the model, but one of the, one of the benefits I would think from group living though is uh, having a social group. 
And and is that how 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 does community vision balance that need or that opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question. It's probably the one um, thing in if you think of us as the field of assisting people with disabilities or social service thing that's held up the field the most because, and honestly, for for parents or others, they think, well, who's my kid going to socialize with as they transition out of our home and they're older? And the fact is, is um, you do need to work on that. We have um, a specific program called community engagement. It's called community engagement because not everyone, even growing up in their local school, has had the opportunity to integrate and be in the mainstream with all the other students. And that's what we found recently through some youth programs we've been involved in, like Dream Builders and such. So we um, focused on the community engagement. And again, you're, you're hitting it on the head in the sense of if you just live in an apartment and you're isolated, you don't have a life, right? And that's a lot of people in society, unfortunately, sometimes. So we really think about that community engagement piece. And so you you don't live in a vacuum. You just don't stay on your own, but you you build those connections for people, and that's part of what we do. Yeah, and and I would imagine once uh, uh, an individual is placed in in his or her own home or apartment, your job is not over. At, at what point can you declare success? Uh, yeah, that, that that's the thing with life, right? We all have a different uh, idea of what success is for us. Um, and I and I often say, like in workshops and talking to people, you know, actually finding the apartment is the easiest part. Because when we first started doing that, people were like, well, that's amazing. People have their own apartment. Well, going and helping a person find a place or renting a place is simple in some ways, and then the rest of your life begins. So, the way we measure success is each individual has some goals. We sit around, we put up some pieces of paper, we talk about their dreams, their aspirations. And we periodically review that with people. And just like all of us, if I'm getting to those classes I really want to take, I'm feeling happy about that. I feel like my life's moving along. So it's um, setting some goals, some personal goals with each person and continuing to revisit those dreams, whether you're 21 or you're 35 or you're 52. Uh, Valerie Plummer is the development director for Community Vision. Um, I'm wondering if there is a success story that uh, you share and to inspire people to to provide uh, financial assistance for your own organization. Yeah, so there's quite a few. Um, one thing I did want to uh, mention, though, to your question regarding the taxing, uh, I thought that was a great question, um, and I uh, wanted to mention the fact that something I found fascinating, I've been here for five years, and it's actually more inexpensive to have individual living versus group living. So um, much of our services are funded by the state and federal government. And um, and group homes, one would think, oh, you know, it's much more efficient. You know, you have many people living in the same place. And actually, um, people living individually in their own homes or apartments is um, less expensive um, for the state and for organizations like ours. So just a kind of interesting and, and And why why is that? Joe might want to, he often explains this. <laughs> um, there, There's sort of this fallacy that um, putting more people together is cheaper. One is sort of on the housing side, housing costs and such, and one is on the support side, staffing. And the thing is, on the staffing side, we 
a lot of people have live-in roommates. We provide those people without disabilities. And so you live in a real natural integrated situation where you only get the support you need. If maybe you weren't feeling well at night or in case of an emergency, your roommate could assist you, but you're not paying for every night, you know, all night for the staffing. And so some efficiencies in that way. And then we also look at what do you really need to be independent? It might just be that someone needs an automatic door opener and their cell phone on their wheelchair and they can hit one button or a switch if they needed help in an emergency and they can call for that help with on-call staff, 911, etc. And we we tend to over-support people. We, we sort of throw them into a formula and say, well, here's five people living together because that's honestly just the way we've always done it. Um, institutions were big. Back in the day, we had almost 2,000 people to move in Fairview from Fairview Training Center. So you do it in fives or sixes or tens. People can't even imagine individual We decided to do it individual. We took the same exact rates that were being offered to the group home. So that's how I know you can do it for the same buddy or less and move people into their homes. That being said, often it was tight. Budgets were tight because you're looking to real individual service, but we made it work. And mostly by putting those roommates in place and thinking really carefully, how many hours of support does a person really need and not assuming 24-hour support all the time. Um. I, I'm gonna change it a, a little bit here. If if somebody were to walk into your office, what would they find? I, I I I'm I'm envisioning that you guys are in the quote unquote field quite often. Uh, is that is that right, or is is your office just this buzzing with people coming and going? And it, yeah, it, it, it's a good question. We uh, and we're actually in the middle of building a new office and place for us and a lot of other nonprofits that support people with disabilities over on 20th and Division, Seven Corners, it's called. And in January, we'll have a brand new universally designed building. Part of the reason was we can show the city and share with everyone how do you create universal access and, and accessibility for people with disabilities. But- I, and I just want to pause real fast because that, that is that is so nice to hear because with 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 uh, so many high end condos going up on division, right? Uh, you know, and and the and the, the the food carts that are going away because for for high end condos to hear that there is a space that is going to be a a, a collection of uh, nonprofits and social services going in in central uh, Portland is something right. not just to skate past. That's a really important. Uh, uh, indication of where the city still is standing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's wonderful. And the land was donated by Multnomah County. We had a um, variety of projects we worked on together where we uh, rehabbed houses and built new accessible houses that the county donated to us, the land and the homes. And then we were looking for it. We were literally looking for a place. We needed a more accessible central place because it's close to transportation and people that do come in to check in about what services they might get in the community, that's the hub. And so they have to get to the hub and it has to be accessible. And so it was just wonderful that we that we landed in that spot. And the neighborhood has been incredible and really supportive. And to your point, yeah, they were very happy to not just have more condos, to, to feel that there was some social services close in that community. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is an interesting thing. When we started, I never thought we would be building a building or a tiny little agency all those years ago. And it was just about the supports. But what it represents for us is that we're going to be there forever. We have this collection of nonprofits. 
with really one vision of supporting people with disabilities, and that gets families excited, and that gets younger people excited. So it's more of a place to come check in and look at your future, whether you're interested in housing or employment or asset building, those types of things, youth programs. But really our work is we have uh, close to 200 staff at Community Vision, majority of which work in the community that we don't see. I mean, once in a while we have get-togethers because you literally don't see everyone because they live all over the Portland metro area and they support people all over the metro area. So we have to pull together once in a while just to check in. But if, and sometimes you'd walk in the building, honestly, and say, okay, there's 10 people here. Why do we have a building? Well, it, it switches and changes. There's trainings. There could be 30, 40 people. It could be a smaller group, but that's because, yeah, the overall, the overarching work is in the community for people. I mean, 200, 200 staff, is, that's a small corporation. I mean, that's not a small, that's that's a medium to large corporation. That's that's really quite incredible. And and. I mean, as an executive director, that that's as we were we were talking a little bit before we went on air. That starts to make you more of a CEO, I imagine, because I would imagine you're doing a lot of management of of staff and people and needs. Um, how connected are you to the programming anymore? Uh, I'm very connected. I feel in ways. Um, pretty much every program we've started, I've been really involved in the starting of that program and and the initial vision with everyone of what that could look like. You know, that being said, we have wonderful, competent staff who run those programs every day. So it's more about our team getting together and checking in and how people are doing. But um, the nice thing for me, I've always been more of a program person than a fundraiser and administrative executive director. And I literally supported the first people at Community Vision. I've done the personal supports. I helped people shower helped people bathe, helped them figure out their schedules. And as we grew, we brought in additional staff. So it's always about going back to that base of good supports. What do people want in their life? And I think you have to be connected to that. You have to understand that it's about the people. You know, that's the reason you're there, people with disabilities that you're supporting. And you have to bring that vision throughout the organization. And honestly, there's days when it's hard for me because I miss those days when we were small and I was connected to everyone and, you know, we had 30 people that got together, maybe 10 people who had a disability and 20 support staff. You know, those were different times. But what uh, we've had the opportunity to create by growing and different people coming in like Valerie and others and, and creating new programs, that's it's just fantastic. The outcome for everyone kind of the the scope of services, um, that part makes me really happy. I want to add uh, one more question before we take a music break here. Uh, you, you've talked some about the beginning 29 years ago. What what brought you, Joe, into this type of work? Yeah, a um, couple of things. As a kid in high school, I started volunteering with people with disabilities, a youth group way back on the East Coast, way back then, with another good friend. And we basically volunteered with kids our age and um, became compassionate to just being friends with people. And actually, I don't know that this is why I went into the field, but as a kid, I had a disability myself and had this rare uh, medical disability. I was actually in a wheelchair for a year and a brace for a couple of years. And um, 
as a kid, I missed pretty much um, a whole year of school because there was no ADA in the day. I literally couldn't get into school, so I was parked at home for a year. And then at the, I had a tutor a little bit, but then at the end of the day, my friends would come home and they grabbed me in my wheelchair and we'd go across to the park in Brooklyn, right? And life was good. But um, that's why we're also pretty passionate about what we do because if you know, just on that side of things, if you can't get in a building, you can't get in a building, right? And there's no in between. So we're always pretty fierce advocates, but I always see it now as uh, what a great learning opportunity. Um, I had this experience, transitioned out of it, but have now been able to use it, you know, to really learn from my, from my early years. Joe Wykoski is the executive director of Community Vision. Valerie Plummer is the development director, and you guys brought in a song. Yeah, it's uh, by Natalie Merchant called Wonder, and uh, it's written based on a person with a who had a physical disability, a young uh, child, and uh, we're connected to a lot of those families, specifically one family that it turns out it's it's really their song, and so um, I you know I listen to that song periodically and it's always been like wow this is this is like a, a real story like there has this had to be a real experience and I went back at some point and researched it and it it um turns out that this is the family's song and it's what um they saw for their daughter her future and um and she lives the life we would all want to live in Portland oh that's uh, I, I I I that is uh wonderful to have that insight I, I i've heard the song before and i don't think i knew yeah. the the background so it's uh dedicated to neva and her parents who have just done a wonderful job including her in school and in community life fantastic let's take a listen No, this child will be 
That was Natalie Merchant. This is the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined by Joe Wykowski, who's executive director, and Valerie Plummer, who's development director for Community Vision. I, I want to uh, take a little bit more of a wonky question here, and, and um, Valerie, I think you can probably talk to this. I, I, funding. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this is this is a large operation. Uh, this this takes uh, money to uh, keep the engine going. Uh, there's some state contracts, some county contracts. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I also, um, in a bit, because you had asked me about a success story, and then I answered a different question. So at some point, I'll give you the success story. Um, but regarding funding, absolutely. Uh, and Joe can also take a, a whack at it. Uh, so it's about... Um, well, it's grown to about um, between six and seven million a year, and about eighty percent of that are county and state contracts. Uh, so those are kind of follow the person that we support, uh, and then the rest we we raise um, through a variety of methods. Um, we build affordable housing for individuals experiencing disability, and then um, and we also have a whole lot of corporate sponsorships, um, individual donors, and foundations that support us. And so uh, that's just steadily grown. Of course, we want to diversify our funding mix as much as we can. And so we're really trying to grow the amount of individual donors and, and corporate and basically philanthropic dollars. Um, but with the with the capital campaign, for example, for the building, it's a $9 million project. And happy to report, we're at about 8.8 raise. And and um, it's been about a two year, two and a half, something like that um, time frame that we've raised that. And so we're closing that out at the end of this um, calendar year and then opening the building in the beginning of 18. So congratulations. Yeah. I, I, that's a lot to keep track of. I mean, these these are I assume are not just simple contracts with the state and they're while hopefully long term uh, changes in leadership can be changes in funding. Um, how, how much of the day is consumed uh, by worry about that, and how much of the day is consumed by monitoring? Well, um, I try not to worry anymore. You know, I think you go through this is probably this last legislative session was probably the sixth or seventh and tenth cycle where you know funds go up, funds go down, the economy changes. Um, there was a deficit. We were we were very lucky to get an increase for support staff that work with people every day. So it's it's always challenging. I think what um, human services and ways and means has figured out, and really great currently a great group of people. Good studies on all the issues and listening to people's needs is they know, for instance, that when. Fairview Training Center was open. Even when people left in the year 2000, people we moved, the cost of care was up to $15,000 a month because you're literally running a hospital, a city, lots of things people don't necessarily need in one place. And we move people for a third of the cost. These days, if that facility was open, we'd be up to like $25,000 a month. And so even- Per um, person. Per person. Thank you. And um, even in the most expensive category, we would support people for half of that money, 24 hours a day with even, even those with intense medical needs and other needs. So they figure that out. And I think where not everyone would agree with me, but where I think- funding is safe as people have realized that 
this can occur for the same amount of money, but usually less in the community, because people are using using real community natural supports. And we talk a lot about natural supports. You know, your neighbor can check in with you. You know, you can have a cell phone, you can call them if you need something, but we don't need this around the clock care for everybody. So I tend to not worry as much anymore because we always we've always figured it out. That being said, in the early days, we had early years where we had like a negative balance sheet. And I don't even know how you do that and survive <laughs> at this point. But we did. We figured it out. We cash flowed OK. We got through the tough times. And um, these recent times have been more challenging just because we're building a building at the same time. And you're putting some of your, you know, hard earned reserve into it because you want to create and you have to kind of go back to the well and and recreate and steady the budget again but we're you know we're overall feeling good about it that being said we are still fundraising the last piece for the building and it's like we're all on that until it's done in january and 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 um because we we are talking about a, a building in a specific neighborhood and and getting people individuals into specific homes and neighborhoods portland a good city to provide this type of service? I mean, as, as you know, obviously Portland has a reputation as being uh, accepting, welcoming community support. Uh, you guys are at the, the really at the front line and one of the more challenging lines of that. Are, are, can you can you report back? Uh... Well, I'll mention the housing piece just because it's uh, it's on everyone's mind and it affects people we support as much as it affects anyone. And about 80 percent of the folks that we support are in Multnomah County and then some Clark- Clackamas and some Washington, but mostly Portland. And um, and so that's a challenge just because <laughs> just because housing. I mean, that's like a full sentence. Housing, it's an issue. Um, and so. So, poor. I mean, in that we are able to find um, folks stable housing, and some people have been, you know, same place for twenty years, you know. So that's great. But folks who are transitioning, either homelessness or just out of, you know, I mean, you have, you know, rents go up, and people can't afford the place that they used to live in, and so then they're on the brink of being homeless, and so we um, have to. Um, help out as much as we can at that point. And we are under the same constraints as any nonprofit that's helping folks find housing. It's just a challenge. And so Portland versus like Oklahoma City or, you know, like Canton, Ohio, probably not great on that end. However, it's a great city, you know. And I I think people are very open to that idea of community for everyone. And so Portland's a great, it's been a great place to to grow and support people and really in every kind of inch of the city, the metro area. But beyond that, I think what works, and I've always said this to people, is people are getting to know people with disabilities as individuals. They're living next door as their neighbors. And we have lots of homeowners. Just we've helped a lot of other people, but through Community Vision alone, we have over 25 homeowners that, um, you know, they're neighbors, they're anchored in those communities. And that's how you get to know a person. What happens, like people mean well, but when 10 people move in next door to them, they think that must be something really special. Like, how do I interact with people? They must need some special services because it's a program. This is a program and not a person. And so when someone moves in next door to you, so what, they have a disability, they say hi every morning or they cut their grass or they take care of their business or they visit. And it's like their other neighbor on the other side of where they live. And I think that really has made a huge difference in connecting with people. 
And Valerie, how about how about you uh, close out our conversation with that uh, success story that you've been holding on to here? <laughs> Thanks. I was thinking about Mike McGinnis. He is a young man, eighteen, who experiences autism. I don't. It's eighteen. Just a touch older. Something yeah. like that. Transitioning. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and he's amazing and really fun to hang out with. And he, um, Joe mentioned our youth program is called Dream Builders, and it supports um, young adults, sixteen to twenty-one, who are transitioning from the family home. Oftentimes, parents are told all their lives, "Oh, you know, you have." basically to lower your expectations of what's possible for your child um, if you have a child born with a disability. And so um, so really trying to correct that assumption and, and, and sort of move that needle. And, um, and Dream Builders helps families both know about what's, what's out there in terms of independent living, housing, how to advocate on um, your own and your child's behalf. But it, there's also a mentor part where um, the young adults find somebody in the community. We help them find somebody in the community that wants to hang out with them and say they have a goal of going to college, we find somebody who's in college who can help them navigate that because going to college is complicated or um, or employment. And so we so he's been engaged in the Dream Builders program as well as our, we have an employment program where we help, we partner with businesses and um, we help individuals find jobs that meet their goals, their dreams, their skills. Um, so it can be anything from Otto's Sausage Kitchen to, um, I think, Buffalo Wild Wings. I think we have something at Walmart. I mean, Nosa Familia Roasting, Coffee Roasting. So just a variety of businesses. And um, and so Mike, oh, where does he work? He's at Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's, thank you. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, and so, and he really likes it. Um, and they really like him. Um, but he's just one example. Um, we support about 200 people a year. And so it's just one. And that Dream Builders program supports 36 families and young adults each year. Um, so, yeah. Barry Plummer is the development director, and Joe Wykowski is the executive director of Community Vision. This has been the nonprofit Happy Hour and X-Ray FM. Thank you both for coming in, and thank you guys for the great work that you're doing. And congratulations on the building, which everybody will should obviously, uh, as you drive down Division, uh, should we'll be able to see. We'll you to the grand opening. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is supported by Coalition Brewing, located at 2705 Southeast Ankeny in Inner Southeast Portland. Their tasting room is open to the public each weekend. They define their beers with balance and drinkability. Look for Space Fruit Citrus IPA, King Kitty Northwest Red, Two Flowers CBD IPA, and rotating seasonal and specialty brews on tap in your local bar and in bottles in many fine local and regional retailers. Coalition Brewing, community through beer. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change in KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is Molly Jean Bennett. Emily Curtis is our associate producer. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where our handle is Nonprofit Hour. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to molly at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in, and cheers!